Welcome to the WA Property Q&A, the podcast where I explore the ins and outs of buying property in Western Australia. I'm your host, Peter Fletcher, and each week I interview local property experts to help you to develop a deep understanding of the nuances of buying property in WA. From market trends to legal considerations, no topic is off limits. But before we dive in, a friendly reminder, while we provide valuable information, it's important to note that nothing discussed in this podcast should be construed as personal investment advice. Always remember to seek the appropriate professional advice for your specific circumstances. Now, let's get started and unlock the secrets to successful property buying in WA. I'm joined this week by none other than Clear Nation. Clear Nation is a director, a chief negotiator at uh, the property exchange in Subiaco. A long-time real estate agent, Claire. You've been in real estate now for how many years? I started when I was 17. Yeah, okay. Down in Scarborough. <laughs> in Scarbs, yeah. yes. And then you moved to, after a while, you, you ended up having a stint up north somewhere? Well, or um, kind of? Yeah, so I, I, did, I started at the bottom and I worked my way up. So I started at reception, started and then went into sort of PA to director role, went into property management assisting. And it was when I was about 21, Janie Sanderson and Nikki Pinker started the property exchange and they rang me and said, hey, Claire, we're starting this new agency in Subiaco, it's super hip, we want to start a rent role, but all the property managers we know are really old and grumpy and we really want someone new. And I didn't really at that point know what I was doing, like really to be starting a business, but I was like, sure, not a problem, I'll come and join you girls. So that was back in 1999 that we started the rent roll from scratch down on the corner of Churchill Avenue in Subiaco. Yeah, yeah. And from there, built it up and developed a team and was with the girls for another 11 years before I then moved into another role of managing a business in Caratha, but I was based in Claremont. Mm-hmm, mm. Yeah, so that was... Uh... And that, that was for a little while, and then, then you've moved back to... And then I've come back home. I've come back home. So now I'm, so that was six years ago I've been back and rejoined Nikki, mm. five, five years ago actually, and with always the intention to have ownership of the business with Nikki. It was really her heart and soul that wanted someone that she knew and that loved, that she knew loved the business mm. and wanted to take that next step um, with her and between myself and Julia, managing director, and Carly, who manages our property management portfolio as well. So the three of us then had our own rentals, management, sales, little caps on, and it works brilliantly. You guys have got something really special going on over there. Yeah, we do. It's, we do. Uh, it's, it's a special office. I, I've been in there and there was dogs in there. and there was... yes. It's not your <laughs> typical office. It's definitely not grey. We have declutified a little bit since Nikki's left because she would bring lots of all sorts of things that she'd picked up from some garage sale in collie or something like that but it's just home you mm. walk in and it feels like home it does feel like home you know? and mm. i think that that resonates in the way that we do our business and the way that our property management girls you know look after their their tenants as well as their landlords because it's all about home that's mm. sort of where our heart is mm. and and is it an all-female team now we are back to all females back yes. to all female teams. not to say that we won't welcome any men it's just the it's right just... person in the in the business and I think it makes it a bit scary for men to reach out to us, but we've had some great guys working for us and successfully. So, um, yeah, I'd be happy to expand you know, our sales team and, you know, with more women and more men. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's, it's something unique. You guys have had, you've had that, that sort of 
thing going on for a long, long time in that business. And it's kind of like you, you've become kind of famous for it. Yeah, well, I mean, we're fondly known as the girls, you know, you know the girls of the property exchange. And I don't think it was the intention when they first started the business, but that's where it organically grew. And I feel that the right people for the way that the business wants to be you know, projected in the community were just more of that feminine feel. But then I guess it evolved over time and we did have a husband and wife team at one point. And yeah, it, I think if the right person's doing the business the way we want to do it, it doesn't matter what gender you are. Mm-hmm. And do you think that there's uh, the, the the way you market properties is influenced by like the makeup of your team? I think it used to be a lot. Nikki would have a lot of fun with her marketing and could get away with it a bit more than you can now and was very progressive at that time in the industry where... She's a real personality-driven oh, brand. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And it was very much Nikki Pine, the property exchange for a long time. Um, and so, but then a lot of other agents did sort of follow suit a little bit and sort of become a bit more creative, which gave everybody a different type of voice. And that also reflected in the way that we start our properties as well. So that was, uh, you know, ever since Nikki, I'm sure I can't remember exactly how many years ago, but she had a whole house full of furniture. So before anybody would style homes, she was styling them herself mm. with her own furniture that she'd bought and actually bought a home just on Gloucester Street to, to store all the furniture. Wow. So it was only in the last year or so that we've, well, she'd sold that now, but that we had knickknacks that so we were able to then softly furnish homes. But she was doing full couches, the whole kit and caboodle before even anybody else was. So, mm-hmm. um, which is a big job. No one does that now, but mm. it, but yes, yeah, she was sort of definitely a leader in that sort of part of the, the styling process. And she also owned, a, owned or owns a tram? Owned the tram. The tram now lives in Bunbury, I believe. Oh, is that right? Yes. It's, yeah. it's no longer part of the Subiaco. No, and it's so missed. I mean, the, the fumes from the tram isn't missed, but it's so missed. So many people <laughs> still ask about the tram. Yeah, and it was such a beautiful, did. I mean, it had its set route. It's, you know, you see all the nana and granddads on there with their little kids. At Christmas, we would get Santa Claus on there and th- be throwing out lollies. And it was a beautiful initiative to the community. And it wasn't something that was backed by the council. It all came out of Nikki's pocket, and mm. that's what everybody didn't realise, is that she wanted to give back to the community. And that's something, I think, from our business now, is that you know, we're looking at ways to be involved in the community by giving back, not to be that real estate agent that wants to be seen to be doing it, but by actually doing it. And Yeah, yeah, so, so you, you, you're less bus stops and bin, you know, uh, bins and... Well, I just did uh, do a billboard, so that's... A bit different, but but it was just that. Just it was but just more, nice. more organic yeah, style. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it was also it was the community. It was like she wanted to do something, and not only that is that she had helpers and volunteers, and you know there was people that were there managing socials, and these were all out of their own time. So that I think was beautiful. How do you think the property exchange is going to evolve in the years years ahead as as you know things change for you guys? I feel like I have a vision with the business of what I would like to do. Mm-hmm. I know that small business is starting to get a little bit trickier with lots of different legislations coming in and acts coming in and grey fleet vehicles and a whole lot of things that are going to affect the way that we run the business. And I guess there is that fear that the bigger corporations have a lot more power in regards to or probably and financials to be keeping up to speed a lot more with sure. um, marketing and creative and 
and secure, like security, like cyber security, or you mm. know, data protection, all of that. Mm-hmm. So we do see our team evolving. We love that we are still boutique, mm. but I think that at some point we will look at exploring options on how we can evolve our business and our brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to be a boutique and stay on the on the leading edge of all these mm-hmm. these in- tech innovations and experiments, you've got to have the money to throw at that stuff. And we made a conscious decision that, you know, we would keep the business as status quo for a few years after we had bought out from Nikki, because we still had to sort of get our feet in running the business ourselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So your, the the business is in the heart of, of Subiaco. Like it's, it's right there. You've got a coffee shop next door. You've got a hairdresser's, I think, is there a hairdresser? We've got the unicorn wine bar. There's a beautiful new French uh, restaurant across the road that's open. So we're on the Shenton Park Subiaco border. Mm -hmm. Mm. So you guys spend a lot of time listing and selling Subiaco, Shenton Park, Daglish. Daglish, Jollymont, Ingrid Bradshaw is our leadable queen. Branching even out into the North Perth, we have Emily Garden, who's one of our um, apartment specialists. So she does a lot in sort of West Perth, even sort of, you know, now Yokan, Wembley, Glendalow, even that, that sort of pocket of, of property as well. Mm-hmm. So we sort of still keep that inner city. We've sort of generally gone towards the leadable side as opposed to down to the Western suburbs, but that's worked really well for our clientele. And I think with our type and brand of marketing, it fits really well suit there. Mm. Who's your... You know, what, what would be your ideal customer? Well, it's interesting when I, I mean, I predominantly sell Subiaco. So mm-hmm. Subiaco has a really interesting demographic because we have upsizes and we have downsizes and then we have investors. So we've got such a range of properties. So there's so many markets within a market. And I know we talk about that a lot about how many different markets within a market, but in Subiaco, really, I can be selling a $400,000 one bedroom apartment or a $3 million character home in, in Hatesbury Road. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very different. And I've got my downsizes perhaps coming off a thousand square meter block in Netherlands, coming into a 500, which is a big square meter block in, you know, that's a big block in Subi. Mm-hmm. Or I have the opposite of my families or my young professionals coming into Subi and then potentially then growing their family and going to their thousand square meter block. So we get a very interesting cross-pollination from that area. We then get them coming from potentially the north. So again, it's sort of, you know, maybe previously where they were spending 700,000, which more is like a million now, but, Mm. and then going into a million to 1.5 market. So you've got a lot of that. And I think now that Subiaco has had a massive resurgence in the last few years, people have always loved living in Subiaco, but they just forgot to come to Subiaco. No one would come out to Subi anymore. That has completely changed. So now we've got people wanting to come into Subiaco for a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And if they're working in the city, they don't want to be doing Sterling Highway anymore. They want to sort of have that seamless transition in and out of the city and still have all of the amenities around them. It is beautifully close to the city, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's right there. You just cross, what is it? Is it Roberts? Thomas Street. Uh, Thomas Street, yeah. 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 And, and when we have our clients from the East Coast, that is what they want. That is what they're looking for, that mm-hmm. easy transition. But then Really, you can go straight down Hay Street and you're, you're there. You're on the coast. Mm-hmm. So you've got, it's such a perfect location for someone wanting all those different lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk to me about a bit more about the sort of people that are coming into, into Subiaco. So they're upgrading to Subiaco from places like what Leaderville? Yes. Oh, it's like, it is really honestly a mixed bag, Peter. It is, mm. it's a lot of people sell in Subi and stay in Subi. And they want to be, they want to be in that area. Or there are families now that have perhaps 
young children, like when I say young, maybe in their 20s and 30s or starting new families, that they are bringing into SUBI as well and maybe topping up their funds so that they can get into a better area. Mm -hmm. So we have a a very strong family demographic. We've now got the new Bob Hawke College, which is really attracting a whole lot of different areas coming in to the, you know, sorry, different people coming into the area. And that, for me, I'm seeing it's becoming more and more prevalent. I think we're up to year 10 now and maybe year 11 next year at Bob Hawke College. Mm-hmm. And you've still got Shenton College too. So that those schools around this area, are that's what a massive driving force for Subiaco Shenton Park. So, it, you know, these people are coming from south of the river even. Interesting you should say this because I did some research on, on this area and the the predominant age group in Subiaco is, is 30 to 39 years of age. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a pretty like well upwardly mobile. It is. It is. We're getting to that younger, de- younger demographic. It's because I also think that what I've seen post-COVID is if you're a young or couple, an executive young couple in that 30 to 39 price, like um, age bracket, their buying capacity previously I felt was sort of circa one meal. Mm-hmm. Now they're sort of one five to two, maybe even more. So that that age group, I feel, has created a lot more wealth or there has been more wealth or something that's present there that has actually changed their ability to buy sort of better quality homes in that area. But you've also got the hospital. So we've got the doctors coming mm-hmm. into the area mm-hmm. as well. And at that age, they're sort of gone perhaps to that next level of earning. earning. And so that maybe means that, you know, what they can buy is certainly different. Or on the other spectrum of that, you might have that 30-year-old that is maybe a first or second home buyer that potentially will buy in that five hundred to eight hundred thousand dollar bracket of an apartment mm-hmm. because they want the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So you, there's again, we could talk so many different variations to what's actually happening each and every time, and it's so product dependent. A home I had on the weekend, I had two new launches on the weekend. I both had fifty odd fifty odd groups through both. Oh my God, one was mm-hmm. a little two bedroom, one bathroom Art Deco style apartment. Mm-hmm. Five offers were written. All of those offers were investors, mm-hmm. not one owner-occupier, and four of those people were residents within the area that particularly wanted, like had walked past that. I mean, it was a very unique, it wasn't your Subi Central apartment, it was a very unique apartment just um, in Campbell Street. But they were all they were all just wanted to put their little stamp, you know, and, and sort of invest get, in get, that. Almost so, get a foothold in the area. Yeah. And it was for lots of, all various different reasons. It was actually quite interesting from that investment perspective. They were not actively looking. Mm-hmm. And it, so this is where every story is so different. Mm-hmm. And I can be launching a property and have no idea really until the day about what's going to happen. Now we're coming into a bit of a different market. The stock level is obviously lowest that the we've seen. Where it's mm. just madness. And I think that when we look back in the 1960s when we had the same level of stock, but only 400,000 population. Yeah, yeah. It's just crazy to actually feel that, oh gosh, this is actually what's happening. But now we sort of see a few farmers coming in this time of year and they're wanting their lock and leaves. And so there's lots of different things happening and it can't be, there's not one particular driving force, yeah. I feel, that yeah. I can say, especially in this area. Maybe when you're looking out in the outer suburbs where you have one or 200 four by twos with a theater double garage. <laughs> and, and, you know, so you might find that that might be, that might be sort of, you could be a bit more specific there in Subiaco Street of Shenton Park. Yeah. It's, it's totally different. You've mentioned the word lifestyle about 50 times so far yeah. in this conversation. And you, Subiaco is, is 
like it, it offers a great lifestyle. And and I think that it was recently voted by number I think it was one. Ipsos yes. as the number most livable suburb in isn't it was it in Australia? In, yeah. In Australia. Yeah. No, doesn't surprise me. Talk to me about what factors you think make it livable. Community. Mm-hmm. Definitely community. The streetscapes are really pretty as well. And I think that, you know, being so inner city, but look, you know, living in these gorgeous tree-lined streets. The streetscape in Subiaco is is absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I did some other research about tree canopy. Yes. Like because tree canopy is a is a massive thing. And you know, suburbs like Daglish and, and Subiaco have have very, very high levels of tree canopy. They do. And even when they did the redevelopment in Subi Centro uh, uh, back can, in two thousand, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Tundra. I think Daglish has about thirty percent of the of the suburb is wow. parks. It's, it's it's massive, and it is a and people love that. I mean, there's people that want to be particularly in that area because they love the dog parks in that area. Mm. And again, that's that's community. That mm. is people going out there and and they all. I mean, I can remember a dog's name any like you know all you know any any easier than a perhaps sort of a human because it's like you're sort of interacting and everyone knows everyone by their dog's names <laughs> and it's so lovely and. Back, sorry, what I was saying back in Subi is when they first did Subi Centro back in 2000, mm-hmm. it was like, oh my gosh, what have they done? This is horrendous. And like, it's, it was, it just felt like there was home upon home and it had mm-hmm. trees. You walk through there now and it is lush and green and you would not believe, just, I mean, obviously it's taken 23, you know, 23 years to get to that point, but it's, it's beautiful. And mm. I think that people love that sense of the greenery. Yep. Um, you just have to walk down. I mean, even just the streets behind our office, Gloucester Street, Haightsbury, all of those sort of, you know, Rawson Street, all of those little pretty streets, they are, they're picturesque. Mm. And people love that Park Street. I just saw a little two bedroom cottage on. And the amount of people that said, I just want to be here because I love Park Street. Mm-hmm. I love Park Street. And mm. it's, it's because it's so pretty. So, mm. and then you were literally, in the city within five minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's just this whole different feel. And so I think people love that. Um, the schools are gorgeous. They, they do have an amazing sense of community. Only just sort of when we just recently had Halloween, there was thousands and thousands of kids and families up and down Gloucester Street. It was unbelievable. And the, everyone knows each other and they all chat and, you know, it's beautiful. It is, it is, you know, but then you've got on the other side, those apartments of low maintenance living and Right into the, you know, right into the hub of Subi for your restaurants and your bars and yep. things like that. So you've just got full on the wa- best of everything. Full on walkability yeah. off the chart. Mm-hmm. Hopefully our shopping and retail will increase. So so what's happened there? Because back in the, let's say that the 2000s, the early 2000s, was the place was. to be. You had the, you know, you had the Sapphire Bar and you had... The- there was a few. Oh, oh, you know, the, all, all those llama bar, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, it was, just it, was like, um, it was definitely the place to be in it. Like I previously said, it was more that when all sort of that died off, people stopped coming to Subi. And when the markets were gone, they stopped coming to Subi. Because rents, rents, commercial rents were a huge problem for tenants for, for a while there, weren't very, they? Is, are they is that still a problem for tenants? I still think it's a factor that people are strongly considering. But yep. now that the you've had so many more people coming into that area and really, I mean, obviously Hay Street's still going through a bit of a transition as well, but definitely Rockaby Road. There used to be a lot of empty shops there and now that they've all you know, they're all filled because people are coming back into Subi. They are coming in there for their Saturdays and Sundays. And, and even during the week, it's it's busy and it has that vibe back. And I think that 
whilst people have always loved living in Serbia, hence the growth of what we've had, they just didn't come to entertain their friends or they, you know, they, there wasn't a reason, you know, for, I mean, obviously the football was a big driving factor, but. It, is the loss of the football, was, was that a factor is it, or is that just something that, oh, the, okay, well, the Oval's gone now. Yeah, and I mean, a, it was a, big a deal. certain amount of times per year that it would be busy. Mm-hmm. And I think perception was that, yes, it was a massive loss, and I'm sure it was a massive loss financially, but what's happened now and what we've created is far better mm. because it's consistent. Better fundamentals. It is. It's consistent. And we've got the big new one development in Subiaco that has come on that was fought by a few people. A lot so, of people so that's the, the development on the corner of… It is. The uh, Blackburn's development. Mm-hmm. Rockaby. One. And that has that created the resurgence of Subiaco. Mm-hmm. It really did. It's We're absolutely thriving. And I know that, you know, when we first met, with, well, we met with Paul after he sort of took on the project and he was like, well, what does Subiaco want? Talk to me about what is Subiaco looking for from a, a residential living perspective. Mm-hmm. And we just said, no more one-bedroom apartments. We cannot sell them. So stop building them mm-hmm. at that particular point. And we, our downsizers that are wanting to, you know, stay in the area and they don't really have anywhere to go. They don't want two bedrooms. They want to have a nice terrace. They'd love, you know, a nice master bedroom, a study, you know, potentially then a room for the grandies, you know, things like that that they wanted. So they really changed sort of a lot of their configuration so that they could appeal more to that Subiaco Shenton Park or that sort of surrounding demographic. And we had a lot of buyers from our intimate immediate areas buy into there. And now they've got, you know, the markets happening underneath and the, the new continental on the corner. And again, all of a sudden now that's lifted the game of everyone around them. So it's just created such a great feeling and people are loving it. We've got CB night markets this weekend, but the day markets, I think, are just going to get better and better. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that, that's interesting you should say that about that, that development because there's a, a, a lot of people in a, in a vertical like uh, space. Uh, so there's a lot of people there. And they, it sounds like it's actually a good place to live. I haven't really had anyone say they don't like living there. Mm. They don't like living there. It's been, I've got a client of mine that she bought one and she's based in Singapore and she's renting it out. But when she came back to view it, she was like, oh, I, I really want to keep this. Like I just can see myself being here. I do think it was so positive for the area massively. And, you know, you've got the train station right there, which can take you, you know, straight to the airport now. So we've also, you know, got that FIFO sort of attraction too of, you know, mm-hmm. like get out straight to the air, you know, airport, don't have to worry about any of that. But then I come back into Subi and I've got everything I need. I don't have to really go anywhere. So again, it's, we've got so much variety now in Subiaco that's creating such like a welcoming vibe to anyone outside of that area that they're, they're really sort of particularly saying, oh, this is the area I want to be. What's the crime like in Subiaco? It's something I don't really follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I don't really hear about, mm. actually. So, so is it, you feel safe at night? I feel very safe at night. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think any area that you're in, you always have to be conscious of your security. But yeah. some areas more than others. Some like areas there's, more than others. Yeah, I there's some that... suburbs in Perth that I'm, mm. I'm not sure that I'd be all that yeah. keen to run I, around. And I don't think Subiaco would be one that would, you know. No. Any, it strikes me as, being, as feeling very safe. Well, all the parking that surrounds it, there's lots happening in between. So you've got little pop-up places and then bars at the back of bars. So there's lots of little areas that, you know, you, f- you feel quite safe and secure walking through. And it's nice, tra- you know, lit, sorry, um, uh, street lit, you know, mm-hmm. little alleyways and bits and pieces. So 
I don't think that anybody, I mean, of course you might have your sort of standard break into a car here and there. You yeah, know, yeah. I mean, but yeah, we don't yeah, hear about it. No, nothing, nothing too dramatic. I'd let my daughter walk yeah. around CB, obviously with me. But. Claire, Ipsos did some research, and I think this is what they, the reason they voted Subiaco as the number one spot about livability, and they, they had 17 different factors. And Subiaco ticks so many of those boxes. It it, it's, um, you know, close to, the, close to employment centres. It's got cafes, dining. It's got hospitals, health care. It's got tree coverage. If you could create a perfect suburb, I, I think Subiaco is very close to being the perfect suburb. Well, and the, the lovely thing about it as well is even in our little pocket where we are, sort of on the outskirts of Subi, Shenton Park, you do have your two unit co- coffee shops. You've got your little bars. So you can still pop down, even if you're on that side of Subi, and wander down to your local little bar, wine bar, and meet some friends. Even in Shenton Park, there's a strip on Onslow Road. They've got a new gorgeous Italian yeah, restaurant. Yeah. I, d- I don't think it's going to be long before a wine bar pops up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you've got a lovely the, IGA yeah, in there. Grosso. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you know, beautiful um, bakeries and so, you know, so little particular yeah, is popping yeah, up. Yeah, so yeah. Any, everywhere you go, even the top end of the Parisian end of Rockaby Road, they say, now, you know, it just, it's changing and it's evolving. And I think any, where, where, anywhere you live in Subi, you can actually just, you can walk. And mm. people like that. Mm. They like to have that space and be out. And especially if you're working from home, which in our area, when you've got uh, probably a lot of, you know, law, mining, medical professions, there are a lot of people that do work, walk from, work from home. Mm-hmm. So to have that walkability mm. and a, a livability sort of or, or ticking those boxes to things that are around them, it makes that working from home a lot more enjoyable as well. And demand is off the charts in Subiaco. It's just for, for property. It's, uh, it's yeah. just nuts. You, you know that I try to buy property for a client in, in Heightsbury mm-hmm. and got dinged by uh, what we went in at 1.357, I think, and it sold for 1.6. And yeah. I, I did not, I was not all surprised. It's like mm-hmm. the, the demand, uh, I went through a home open and there was just like walking room only, uh, standing room only. It was well, just like yeah, nuts. It has, it has been. And, you know, it wasn't uncommon for us to be having 70 to 90 groups through our home opens. And we'll do two on the first weekend. So we'll do one in the morning and again in the afternoon. Wow. Um, so Is that just to manage demand? Just well, to give, no. Maximise the- for us, we found it. We do that with all of our new lo- um, new listings. So mm-hmm. I still do that now, even for my apartments. Because mm-hmm. what I like about that is it does give people the second opportunity to come back on that day. Mm. With the market moving so fast, when they go through and they only have viewed it once and really what for five, ten minutes, and I, I doubt they've opened any cupboard doors or looked at if their washing machine's going to fit or anything like that, to give them the availability to come back later that afternoon and bring mum and dad through or hubbies at golf, whatever it might be. Mm. When the market was moving so fast, that gave them that sort of other quick opportunity to be able to do something because we were literally going back to the office and writing 10 to 12 offers that day. Mm-hmm. And people were ready to do that. Now I'm seeing that change slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones we had over the weekend when we had 50 groups through, you know, is that because the stock levels are low? Is it because they were both very beautifully presented properties? Who knows? As I say, it's a bit of a mixed bag with what's going to happen on the day. But that just, but, but we would see that consistently happen. And in one day doing three to f- five or six home opens, we'd seen you know, three to 400 people. It was, it was exhausting. Mm. And then you sort of think, well, the shoe's on the other foot for that particular buyer that wants to be able to go in and make that decision. I'm saying that buyers are a little bit more 
they're being just a little bit more conscious of their decision to how far over the price they're going to go at the moment. Yeah, right, okay. I'm I'm seeing they're a bit more collective in their thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of factors, obviously, our interest rate rises that are affecting that, but also the thought that, you know, are we buying at the top of the market? Mm. My conversation to a buyer is very different to a seller, but the conversation to a buyer is the market's going to continue to go. So mm-hmm. if you want to get in, we need to we need to make an act right now. But I think that, you know, where a market previously that we would say offers over one nine nine five, mm. we'll comfortably two two, two three, two four even mm-hmm. uh, because that demand and that energy of and the amount of offers would drive it there. Now if I'm saying offers over one nine nine five it's maybe two oh five oh. Like yeah, it's two, not people two, aren't mm. they're not going crazy over. Um they're being mm. a lot more considerate in their final purchase price. Um, so we have to be very price specific and that's where I think we're seeing our language change a lot. I haven't particularly used the offer strategy and I understand why now that's actually very beneficial to be using. But having a price guide of the you're seeing a now low millions, one mid millions mm. offers, you know, in the nine hundreds is where we positioned a property the um, on the weekend because mm. it could have you know, evidence was here, but where it went was completely different. But at least it gave people a guide of where we're expecting to see results. How are you working through the difficulty of getting a, a price guide that is half accurate? Because well, I, I, I talk to a lot of agents and they're just going, well, we, we think the property, the, all the evidence is saying the property's worth between eight fifty and and 900 but we sold it for one point, oh, yeah. a million and seventy. Yeah. yeah. Like, how do you like? You know, e- even the best agents with all the the research, you know, core logic, RP data, you know, thirty years experience, and and they're still getting it wrong. Well, how are you dealing yeah, with that? I, I just think you can't speculate, and this is where you have to be very particular and and very direct with your conversations with your sellers because. They right now have a greater expectation more than ever. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to get this, et cetera. And I'm like, well, the evidence is sitting here and you want here. I'm not saying we can't do that here, but as an agent, I can only ever give you my professional advice based on evidence. Mm. But what I know is how, how to increase the perception of value, not the value, the perception of value mm-hmm. and likely what is going to happen on that day. But I can assure you, if we start there, you won't finish there. If we started here, you will likely finish there or even higher. Mm-hmm. So buyers are also very well educated and they won't, you know, they, they'll be very, right now, as I say, their confidence to go out there and just buy it at all costs is not there anymore. So you have to be really direct and honest with your sellers and not be too influenced by what they want. Mm-hmm. I could say, well, I want 1.9 for my property and it's worth 1.5, but that's mm-hmm. not necessarily means what I'm going to do. But it could happen on the day. Mm-hmm. If you can listen to the advice of the agent, and I do believe that as agents do give you the advice on how to best get that price, then that will likely happen. And you know, if you are guarded correctly, but if you start there, you may it, you may not result in that. So, yeah, it, it's not a it, – the, the market, it, despite it being very strong, it's not a – a recipe for I'll get whatever I want. I've got some friends uh, up in the hills that uh, own a, a property that they, uh, you know, they'd like to sell at a, a price that they have in mind. Mm. The market's not giving it to mm. them, mm. and uh, I've been saying to them, it, "It, you need to to drop the the quote price, yes. and then you know allow the market forces to to flow from there." Mm. But they're, they're resistant that. to that because it sounds like, oh, no, we don't want to sell it too cheap, you know. Well, I don't think anyone's ever complained of selling a property too cheap. Like, really. Like, no one's ever come, oh, well, we sold that for way too cheap. Or, you know, when I've heard this, oh, the, 
that particular agent underprices property, I'm thinking, how can you ever underprice property? Like you, if you underprice a property, you'd just be writing 40 offers and it would probably go to the same amount. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I do think that as agents, we are some of them are being influenced by what the seller wants mm-hmm. and are starting at that particular price. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are some conversations that I have with other agents that have gone, wow, you know, did you go in there and did, you know, and did you appraise and how did you go and what did you say? And then they're like, wow, I got that completely wrong. Because I don't think anyone's getting it 100% right these days. I mean, it is our no, job no. to know and have an understanding. But Very hard you know, to get it right. A little two-bedroom semi that was sold on the weekend, you know, there was a lovely home that is sold very similar for nine fifty one. This one was um, in a better location, probably not as nice in a smaller block, and it sold for something like 6000 less. Mm. But I could use that as evidence and to knowing that likely it should have been in the low, low nines. Um, but we use the language in the 900s so that if potentially there was so much interest, it could have driven it past that price. Mm-hmm. So you just, you know, you just don't know. And I think that you've got to be, I, I, I do feel that agents are very, being very coerced into sort of what the owner wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so and it's our job to give them the education. So look, based on fact, one, two, three, four, five, this is where it's at. Um, well, I want this. Okay. Well, where, you know, if you were going into the market and you're a buyer, where are you going to get that price from? And mm-hmm. just putting it back on them. Well, because it's this. And I said, but what? how would you feel comfortable mm-hmm. putting two and a half million down there when really the evidence is saying 2.2? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's nothing else in the area, Claire. Well, I'm like, okay, well, that, that definitely could make, that could be the clincher. But on the day, allow that to happen organically mm. and allow me to use my negotiation skills to get there. Mm. Don't, don't sort of feel that's just going to happen. Are, are agents buying listings? I don't like that terminology. Mm-hmm. I don't like that terminology. I don't think in my area I could say that I see that happening. Mm-hmm. I have in in our area there are very there's probably three or four predominant agents mm-hmm. and all exceptional professional yeah, okay. reputable agents. Yeah, yeah. So there's you know if uh, and we have because we've got such a big demographic of all different type of property in a small apartments, big apartments. And in Subia, we get a, a lot of different agents coming in, mm-hmm. but the core agents are extremely, these these are top-notch professional guys. Yep, yep. There is no way that they'd go in there and, mm-hmm. and, got better things and, to and do. buy a listing or reduce their fee to get the business. Yeah, they yeah. don't need to. And we're all very similar in the way that we present our homes and our properties. Mm. And we all have something different about us that particularly that client might relate better to. So I don't feel in our area, I see that happening. Is it in outer suburbs? I think it's happening, but mm. yes. I like your observation about the professionalism in your area. I think that there, there are some really good agents through that patch. Yeah. I was going to ask Claire, I was talking to Nat Hoy recently, as you, as you know, on, on this podcast, and she was saying that, that if there is any, any part of the market that is a little, not so much soft, but that the demand isn't as strong, it's properties that aren't finished off. Yes. I totally agree. Yeah? Is that still the case? I agree. Maybe a little bit changing now, Mm -hmm. but a home that is completely finished, literally you can walk straight into, in Subi will far more attract double, three times or four times people coming through the home opens. Mm. I think also the reasoning behind that is my clients particularly, potentially, it could be time poor. Yep. Or, and I had this conversation with my girlfriend the other day who was selling in Sorrento or Hillary's, and she had a... A home to be renovated. And she goes, I've got all my clients are all tradies. And I'm like, I wish I had a lot more tradie clients in Subia, but I, I don't tend to have 
build mm. like, you know, home builders that are in super that can go, oh, yeah, I can do that. You know, they're more, it's a different demographic of perhaps professional yeah. clientele. Mm. So they, they see homes that need a little bit of work as either worried about, obviously, the cost, the availability of trade, the length mm-hmm. of time, et cetera, if they've got young families. They don't want to do that. The one that I sold on the weekend, it was a little cottage, but you could do an extension renovation at the back. And I had a mixed bag on that. I had people that were either just trying to get into the area and get a foothold and loved it the way it was, people that were looking at it and going, okay, well, if I buy it for nine fifty, and then I'm going to spend 400 will I sell it for $1.5? Mm-hmm. It's not 190 square metres. So that is a bit of a... Actually, probably you will because it's CB and it's a great location. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, people also um, equate value to land. So that could be a little bit tricky. So there's just, again, there's not, I don't have any one answer that would fit all the different properties in this area. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, you know, I mean, I pretty much paint every single house that I sell if it's vacant. Yep. If I can paint it and carpet it and clean the grout mm-hmm. is my three main things that I will do because even just doing that mm-hmm. is just takes off that one job for the particular person. Does it increase value? And obviously we style our homes beautifully. Yes, I, you know, I think that it increases the overall perception of value. But it just gives that what that person one less job to do. Mm-hmm. They can move in and they've got lovely fresh white walls. If they don't want white walls, they can paint them. But at least they've got a, a they've got a blank canvas. Yeah, white's never going to offend. No. Yeah. So paint, carpet, clean the grout. So you're talking roughly twenty grand. Yeah, not even. Yeah. Not even. Mm-hmm. We can do you know we can do that for a four by two for under fifteen. Mm-hmm. Changing door handles is my other favourite thing to do. Changing door handles. Tap nice. Yes, yes. Just very little. Just, we don't have to spend a lot. Mm-hmm. And I never want my sellers to, to spend money to chase money. Don't spend the money to chase the money. Mm-hmm. We will spend the money to create a higher perception of value of your home mm-hmm. and that will create more competition in, the, in, in your buyers, which will then drive your, drive your sale price. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to come to me and say, Claire, should we do kitchens and bathrooms? I'll say no. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's another thing that's going on in this market and that is that, you know, we're around this, we want things that are, are finished. There's a, and I don't know whether it might have come out of COVID where people are just going, life's too short to put up with crap. Like, we, we're just going to buy what we want today mm-hmm. and not have to suffer through endless renovations and, you know, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Just, we just want to get what we want and move into it. Well, I think a younger, and I'm not, I'm not going to put myself into that generation. I, I wish I was, but the want, I, the want I'm wanting now of the, it's on your phone. You can download your TV show straight away. You can, da- you don't even have to go to the movie theater anymore. You can watch a, you know, a series of a show within a day. You don't mm-hmm. have to wait from week to week to be, you know, being on television. Mm-hmm. That ability to want and want now, I think is prevalent throughout throughout everybody yeah they don't want you know if they see it they want it mm. and, and i think even that younger generation particularly i see that on instagram i want that there i want that house you know and you know i want that picture they want they want everything here and now they're not willing to wait i mean that's a probably a generalization yeah. there's a smaller there's a smaller people lot that can go okay i can make this my own i don't want to buy someone else's reno i want to do this myself but I'm telling you, that's actually far and few between. Yeah, yeah. The home in Shenton Park that we recently sold for over three million was a brand new home that was built, and we had buyers coming from far and wide because in that area we do very, very rarely get a brand new build. Hmm. Gorgeous location and street, and you know, I know that other agents had actually appraised that under under where we had sold it, mm-hmm. but 
not knowing what the demand is for a brand new build that they could walk into, not have to do any work, mm-hmm. was so attractive to so many people. Yes. You know, not to say that my beautiful homes that are older in, in Subi that people don't say, oh, you know, we could do a project here and we could renovate it ourselves. But, you know, the cost of these now, I've just sold one on Gloucester Street that was on less than 500 square metres for 1.9. And that needed new kitchens, new bathrooms. I only had one bathroom. Potentially needed to go up. So if you're going to spend another million, you now in Subi, you'll likely get over three. But it's a big cost. Mm-hmm. And then they'll have to find somewhere else to live while they're doing it. And we know that rentals are very hard to come by. Wow. Yeah. So yes, we, we could we could talk about rentals. I know. Just as a whole nother absolutely another episode. Tell me, what would your advice be to to buyers? Like it, it's just really hard to get to the top of the pile when you're making an offer. What's your What's your advice? You know, like take take your agent's hat off. Yes. And and put on the hat that you would say mm-hmm. if I was your best friend and I was you know, wanting to make an offer on a property, what's your advice to me? I think about this quite a lot. I'm very much a people person. I love face-to-face. Mm-hmm. sounds great. It's efficient. It's effective. I love it. But mm-hmm. it does take out a lot of that face-to-face negotiation. Mm-hmm. And also, if I'm sitting with you writing an offer and as the buyer and as, as also the agent, we're getting to know each other. We're getting to understand where we're at. We're, getting, we're talking about different scenarios. Mm-hmm. So if we're in a multiple offer situation, Quite often, my buyer that sits in front of me will be my successful buyer. Wow. And I don't know whether that's because it's my negotiation skills or the fact that we have actually worked through to get them at their best and strongest point. So I love DocuSign. I think it's great. It does take away that personal connection between the buyer and the agent. And I think at the moment, that's extremely important for their trust in you to be Mm -hmm. guided Mm. and, you know, really... When I say the trust in you is that quite often, and I don't get it too much, but they'll say, well, how do I know that you're telling me that there is four other offers? Mm. And how do I know that there is this? And I've gone, well, you know, you will know at the end of the day because you haven't either been successful and you'll see the price point come up, you know, mm. that you've missed out. But sometimes the highest offer doesn't win. And I had that happen on the weekend as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't like to say win, but wasn't successful. Mm-hmm. It was all the terms surrounding that. Mm. And so I do believe getting in front of the agent with you and having that time to make the offer mm-hmm. and saying, can we sit down and write the offer together? Because there could be a, right, well, let's get on the phone to the broker now. Let's have a chat to the broker together. How can we get you in a position, better position financially yes. to be putting your best foot forward here? How can we get you in a position better to have better terms of settlement? What, you know, that, cause I'll just come in and go, okay, well, you fill in the form, send it off and write an offer. And quite often the agent won't even call them to talk through that. And I know my girls still will go, okay, so this is your offer. So what's your situation? I don't even know what they do for a job. So when I'm presenting to the seller, how can I go? Oh, you know, I, you know, I met Peter and Anne and Mm. Pete's, he's a school teacher and Mm. I'm creating the story behind their offer. And I miss that part of the job. Mm. We wrote 12 offers on a property in Scarborough recently and everything was DocuSign. No one Mm. wanted to meet with me. And I'm like, come and meet with me and talk to me. But no one wanted to sit down and have that conversation. And I think that, you know, what I'm talking to my buyers about, the language that I'm using is very different to the language I use with my sellers, of course, mm. but they need to be guided. They need to say, well, if the offer's really low, I'm like, okay, well, let's have a look at the evidence. This is the evidence, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like, because they're nervous. They're so nervous. They don't want to try going too high. Yeah. Um, another strategy I work really well with with my buyers is saying, okay, well, what wouldn't you pay, Peter? Mm-hmm. 
Well, Claire, I'm not going to pay 2.5. I don't think it's worth 2.5. Okay, well, do you think it's worth 2.45? Do you think it's worth 2.4? And they they can come to that conclusion of their best offer going backwards and not going forwards. Because when you go up in your 2.1 or 2.2, oh, my God, I'm paying too much. It's just a, you're, you're, you're psyching yourself out. So start from the top and come down. And then if you know that that night when I ring you and say, I've, you know, yes, you've, you've successful. Congratulations. We're excited. Mm. You don't think, Oh my God, I paid too much or, mm. or, or I should have given the extra hundred thousand. Like, you know, so I'm very, I say, let's work it that way. I talk to buyers a lot about their no regrets price. Mm. And it's that price where if the agent phones up and says, congratulations, your offer was successful. You might feel a little bit of remorse. You might feel, oh, I probably paid too much. And it's possible that you did. But the point is that that was your no regrets point. That, that's the price that's that right. you decided. The other side of the no regrets price is if I miss out, yes. I don't care. That's right. Like, I wouldn't have paid. Totally a, okay with I, that. I wouldn't have paid $1,000 more. I wouldn't have paid $100 no, more. Exactly. Like that, that's my line in the sand and yeah. it's, it's all over at that point. Oh, 100%. That happens. It happens. And, you know, I have a, had a gorgeous client of mine. I sold property for her in King Street. And so she was, had, was primed and ready to go cash buyer and saw a property in Park Street. Again, gorgeous Park Street. Loved it. Loved the location. She's an inner city Melbourne woman. She wants lifestyle. She wants to walk mm-hmm. everywhere. And she came in with an offer 200000 less than when she, where she ended up. She goes, but I wanted it. Mm-hmm. You've got to kill me, Claire. You've got to kill me for doing that. And I'm like, well, everyone around the area is going to be really happy with that particular price. And the seller was extremely happy, but she did. She went up and above because number one, she wanted, she had to move out of her place. So mm. her drive and the reasoning behind that was that, right, I do need to find somewhere because I have to move. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with paying that price mm-hmm. because that's what I want. And, and I will go above. I- so yeah, I've secured you know, the home. I've secured it. I don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, and I'm just not going to have the regret. I'm just going to buy it. And then that's what I say. Don't wake up tomorrow and go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You just be happy. And that's the price. But when and, you come back. That, yeah. that is often the case. When mm. people miss out on a home, it's the story that defines them in mm. 10 years time. It, it goes, well, we made an offer on a place in Netherlands mm. and we, we missed out on it by, you know, 10 years ago, 50 grand. And now it's worth yes. $3 million more than we paid for it. I know. And you go, well, you know, what might have been? Mm-hmm. And hadn't we not been so wrapped up around the axles around this 50 grand or in today's terms, it's more like 200,000. That's right. You know, don't, don't get yourself mm-hmm. too wound up about paying a, a few dollars too much. Think about the future. Mm. You know, what's the story you're going to tell right. to your, you know, yourself in 10, 20 years time? This moment's going to define that. It is. And look, and it, it's also the stories like that, that being an agent that solely works in these areas and understanding the intimate transactions that have happened or the intimate details of the transaction that happens. Because mm. next door I might go, oh, well, he sold that for that and now mine's worth this. Well, Yes, that underpins value of you, but on that particular day, mm-hmm. this is what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is where we say, well, if you were to start there, you might not finish there. So we need to bring you back a little bit. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, in, I mean, everybody's different with the advice that they give, but understanding those intimate details of transactions, I think is very powerful for an agent. Mm. And this is where having relationships with other agents 
And I know that maybe my situation is different with the people that I surround myself in, in my areas because we all have the utmost respect for each other. And yes, we're competition. But again, these are professional industry leaders that mm. I go up against mm-hmm. and they regard me in the same way. Mm. And we can have these conversations mm. and we might be all going up for it together, but we're happy that either of you know, achieve that, that listing because we know, great, they're going to be service. They're going to uphold the value. They're going to uphold the presentation and they're going to uphold our reputation within this area. So, you know, knowing a lot of those back end pieces, again, when we talk about, okay, how we come to pricing and things like that is that we can sit there and really go, well, this sort of this, this, this all happened. Mm. It's knowing your stuff and being confident about what you're actually talking to your client about. And I just, I always bring it back to being real and yourself. And when you're across the table from that particular person, don't sell them the dream because you know that you can achieve that with them, but it's a journey together that you're going to get there. Claire, I'm aware of the time. We can talk about this for hours, and but you know we've both got we things love to it. do. <laughs> yeah, we clearly we, obsessed. We <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's it's once real estate is in your blood, it's it's mm. pretty hard to get it out. Let's. Well, face I have it. my daughter working for me now. Yeah, I know. And no. honestly, when she started at my business, I could hear her downstairs on reception, and. I was just like, oh my gosh, like she just sounds like me. That the poor girl thinks she was, you know, in the back of the car listening on the phone. Yes. Her language, she just knew exactly what to say. Like when you talk about it's in your blood, like literally, it is in her blood and she's amazing at it and she'll become an amazing young agent. And it is quite funny. I, I just hear her at the front welcoming clients and she knows the answers to the questions. It's just so natural. It's so beautiful. I just love watching it. It's really good fun working together. Beautiful. Claire, thanks so much for your time today. Thank I've learned a lot. Me. It's been a real treat. Thank and you. I think anyone that's looking to, to buy in Subiaco, how would or sell in Subiaco, how would they get hold of you? Call me zero four zero zero five eight six two eight one. You can find me on my socials. I have a very active um, Instagram page. I have a lot of interaction on my Instagram page, which is great. Or just come in and say hi. There you go. Claire, thanks, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Peter. And that wraps up another episode of the WA Property Q&A. We hope you found our discussion valuable and gained some valuable insights into the world of property buying in Western Australia. Remember, while we strive to provide useful information, it's crucial to consult with the appropriate professionals before making any investment decisions. Don't forget to tune in next week for another exciting episode where we continue to unravel the mysteries of the WA property market. If you have any questions or topic suggestions, feel free to reach out to us. Until then, happy property hunting and remember to seek the right advice for your personal circumstances. Thank you for listening.